Alright, what's up everybody? Welcome to, or welcome back to, TBN. TBN, yeah. This is the live stream where we sort of focus down on what really matters, in my opinion, in the vape world, and that is news, facts, and science. We do advocacy, we do activism, we talk about smoking, we talk about policy, we talk about science, we talk about nicotine. I think that's it. We talk about taxes. Yeah, (laughs) evidence, taxes. And today, uh, we have a very special guest joining us, a friend of the program. Uh, It's Charles Gardner, PhD. Welcome to the welcome to the stream, Charles. How are you doing today? Very good. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, Um, it's uh, 6.30 p.m. my time. I've had my coffee, uh, my late coffee, and I'm I'm ready to roll. You're ready to roll. You having coffee this late, Charles? Yeah, it never keeps me awake. Really? And oh, and by the way, I am mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore, Grim. Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that about you. I've said that in my head uh, at least a thousand times. And it's one of those things where you feel like you can't get any madder than hell, and then a new day on Twitter dawns, and you see so much more misinformation and disinformation and lies that you go, well, I guess I can be madder than hell. (laughs) I didn't know I could achieve this. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, it's always two steps forward, and then there's a, another one step back. Yeah. I mean, so I mean, by the way, so I never plug products ever, um, especially safer nicotine products. But mm-hmm. I do want to plug one thing. Oh, plug away. Uh, yeah, I I recommend this mm. as a as a holiday gift for anyone. Uh, yes. for anyone to give to a smoker or basically for everybody to, to read themselves. Yeah. I, I think this is an absolutely wonderful book by Colin Mendelson. This book itself will save thousands of lives. And uh, Plug just, it. Plug it, away. I'll put a shopping came, link for that in the description. Now, So that's uh, – no, describe what yeah. – just talk about that book. Have you read it already? I have read parts of it. Oh, okay. yeah. I mean, it okay. literally just came in the mail, so okay. I haven't had time to read the whole thing. Well, I wasn't sure. You know, Charles Gardner, I feel like you could have just said, yeah, I already read it, and I definitely would have believed you. What, what have you gleaned from it so far? Uh, well, um, vaping is good, mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. helps save lives. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> so, so what he does is he, he goes through the evidence. It's, it's very well-referenced. It's very clear, Colin, is like his goal here is to reduce horrible death from cancer, heart, and lung disease. And, uh, and it, it really it, it takes you through um, the, um, the issues that we all deal with. And it will, um, it will um, arm you with, with a lot of evidence. Yeah, uh, because he's, he's had some time to think about this. Yeah, he's you know he's in Australia. There's a strong Australian focus, um, but mm-hmm. they're you know one of the canaries in the coal mine here, um, and uh, and so he so and um, he's a he's a great advocate. Yeah. and he doesn't vape and he doesn't smoke. Yeah, he he just uh, cares. That's that's the thing. He he's just a he's just a doctor and he cares. Yeah, I used to I used to work at the Rockefeller Foundation, and one of my mentors there was an absolutely hyper intelligent person named 
Ariel Pablos Mendez, Mexican guy. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I appreciated about him was I, he had very fixed ideas. He had, he viewed the whole global health field as a kind of evolving landscape. And it was literally, he could describe the terrain and how it was changing. Um, and you know, so, but what I loved was when I could, I could come to him with new data. I could come to him with new evidence and I could literally see the gears turning in his brain mm -hmm. and he would immediately come to a different conclusion mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. based on the new evidence. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously I was only bringing him evidence, stuff he didn't know sure, and, sure. Stuff that might, and stuff that might be relevant to the questions we were dealing with. And I, that's such a rare thing. Uh, yeah. You look at somebody like David Abrams, who who also came into this field, also not a smoker, also not a vapor, um, but very strong public health. I mean, he was the director of uh, behavioral research at the National Institutes of Health for years. Um, and he came diametrically opposed to safer nicotine alternatives. Uh, and he then he looked at the evidence mm -hmm. and he changed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he changed his mind. It, it's just, it's, it's, that's such a rare thing that people don't get fixed and fixated on, uh, you know, the, 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 the preordained conclusions or the, right. the we, we've always the done church, it this way. The church dogma. Yeah. Yeah. That, that whole thing, you know, and that's interesting because, you know, I, I have one hero in my life. It's Penn Jillette, the other half of the Penn and Teller <laughs> magic comedy team. Yeah. I, I love this man like like a father. Like he without with without Pendulet, there would be no Nick Green. I mean, and I mean that very literally in the way that I think, and the way that I view the world, and the way that I form my opinions, and and be a skeptical person. And from listening to him for so long, I just assumed that that's the way that science is supposed to work. I mean, that is the way that science is supposed to work. The idea that scientists should be excited about the idea of possibly being wrong about something in light of new evidence and, and getting to change your opinion or your, you know, your theory based on this new evidence and that new evidence was always a welcomed thing into the, you know, into the field. And, and then I started vaping, you know, and, and that doesn't seem to be, uh, that doesn't seem to be what's going on. And that's what confuses me. Is, is now someone who changes their mind based on new evidence kind of seems like a unique unicorn <laughs> when really that should be kind of the standard, I think. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, so I, technically I'm a scientist too. And I, the thing is, scientists are human mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh, often approach problems with their some preconceived notions. Sure. And, and history is uh, you know, just full of examples where science has gotten things wrong. Um, you can go back to the 1920s, 1930s, uh, Lysenkoism in the, in the former uh, Soviet Union. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, we don't really want to talk about that, but yeah. it, uh, I could talk at length about that. Um, but it was sure. this is a, it, it's a false uh, it's a false notion of how genetics and evolution work. Uh, you can go back to phrenology, where uh, back in the late 19th century, is that the skull there was a whole pseudoscience of yeah we could yeah. Um, measure the bumps on your head to there was a bump uh, that would measure your criminal tendencies and your amorousness and your whatever sure, it's all nonsense. sure. 
Right. So we 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 are prone to right. to, and to accepting a lot of nonsense. I and I feel like over time that the nonsense should get you know sort of weeded out. You know that it's like reflexology and you know things like this where it's like it seems like a lot of woo woo and it can't really stand up to scrutiny. And I think that's one of the great things. I guess about progress in science is that you're always trying to improve it and make make it better. And you know things like feeling the bump for my criminal. You know how how long really did that sort of go on? How long did people really wholeheartedly go? Yes, this bump does represent how long I'm going to live, and and I believe that wholeheartedly. Before it was like a, a how could anyone have ever believed that type of thing. I think the question is, have we entered a post-enlightenment era? And I think a lot of people would say, yes, I, I, I'm a glasses half full guy. I, I do think that, that, that the evidence prevails in the end. And, um, you know, it, it doesn't help when, for example, okay, controversial topic, climate change, global warming, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, 98% of, of, uh, Climatologists believe one way and two percent believe the other way. Sure, sure. And okay, so so that's a pretty strong indication of where the facts and the evidence lie. Yes. But when you get a bunch of fossil fuel companies uh, uh, spending tens of millions of dollars on a kind of merchants of doubt yep. campaign, which they learned from the tobacco industry. Uh, to to convince people that not 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 the not the opposite, but that simply that experts disagree. Yes, that there's not a and, scientific consensus on this. So yeah, then then things are held back, and and ironically, that's what's happening in the tobacco control field now, but you know in reverse. So merchants of doubt tactics, which is convince the public that the experts disagree. That's that's. 40 years ago, it was a very clever strategy. I mean, basically pure evil, but it was yeah. a very clever strategy 40 years ago, but now that's being used in the opposite direction. And it, it, that's, I think that's what we all see because, you know, those of us following the evidence as it, as it comes up, um, see the bias mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. See, you and I were discussing this just before we came on air. I think one of one of the one of my observations is there is still a legitimate debate that can be had here in public health mm-hmm. if people can get beyond um, <clears throat> get beyond get beyond the the ad hominem arguments. And so, for example, the American Medical Association has looked at all the evidence and they've come to one conclusion. Mm-hmm. And the British Medical Association has looked at all the evidence and they've come to the complete opposite conclusion. Okay. Like on another planet conclusion. Right. But where, where is the neutral space? Where is the convener? Where is the neutral convener? that could bring together uh, experts from those two organizations to, to respectfully discuss the evidence, have a debate, 
because you, there are millions of lives in the balance yes. here. Uh, and but this, you know, we, we have what we have there are two completely different echo chambers. Yeah, it's it's crazy to me. I mean, I can't think of a better word than crazy to me to see how diametrically different the United Kingdom and the United States are treating safer nicotine products like vaping. And the idea that the UK, uh, you know, I know we got some UK people in the chat tonight. T-Vapes, I see you there. Uh, the the idea that the UK is going to prescribe these to further sort of legitimize them, uh, you know, in the eyes of smokers, while the United States is about to, you know, swear in our new FDA commissioner, Robert Califf, who is a prohibitionist. How do... How, how do we just, I mean, how do they justify this? I, I mean, I don't understand how this happens. So don't, I mean, don't forget. So first of all, the UK has always had a pathway to approve uh, an, an e-cigarette as a medicine, you know, safe and effective through the regulatory process there. Sure. They just, I think they just clarified what the process would be. And if anything, they made it harder, by the way. So it hasn't been reported correctly. Yeah. But the other thing is the FDA just authorized, uh, you know, three, but actually basically one e-cigarette product. Yeah. They choosing one that literally nobody uses. I couldn't no even find it. No. Charles. Oh, I went into my C store and I asked for it. I went. And, I went on a tour of C stores in L.A. And, and I had to have the guy at one that I normally go to, like, special order it for me. He said, oh, I think I can get the Views solo. Did, I said, you could you please? It? Oh, yeah, I put it up on my shelf as, like, a display item. I vaped through the cardamizer, and I put it up on my shelf. You know, it says, first FDA-approved vape. It's, a little, it's like a historic occasion, I, at I least know. in my eyes, but you know. I, but I have to tell you, in my local convenience store, I am not making this up. It was literally... He had to search all over the store for it, and it was literally in a back corner, covered with dust. Yeah. And I said, "Well, do you have do you have the, the do you have the pods? Do you have the refills for it?" Yes. Yeah, they had those two, you know, <laughs> way past the expiry date. It's just been sitting there forever. Nobody buys that. Mm -mm. Um, and maybe I think uh, I've said this before, but I think. FDA was just kind of sending up a trial balloon, just like see how much people would scream if they uh, if they authorized that. Because if you actually look at the numbers, it not only do no adults use it, but really no teens use it. It's uh, by my back of the envelope calculations, far less, maybe like one in five thousand teens have ever seen one. I mean, this is based on the latest. National Youth Tobacco Survey data, which has, which has data on teen use of use products, but ninety percent of ninety-five percent of those, according to the Truth Initiative, are not are not the solo. It's the Alto. An Alto is actually pretty vapable. I have an Alto on my desk. Have you tried to vape the views solo? No, I no, I didn't buy it. Oh, because, no, because it looked like a piece of. Pardon my French, but it looked like a piece of shit. Oh, you can I, you can curse here. So, it's encouraged. It's encouraged here. All right. Uh, I'll tell you, no. as a longtime vapor, as a longtime vapor, and having used hundreds 
of pods and little cardamizers. The view solo is actively bad. It's if I was a smoker and I tried the view solo, I'd go straight back to cigarettes. It is wholly unsatisfying. Wholly unsatisfying. Tastes bad. Vapes bad. But it's hard. It, it's it's hard for you and me who um, have been in this field for some a few years, right? Yeah. And have been vaping. Uh, in my case, for um, nearly eight years. Yeah. Uh, and maybe longer for you. Uh, I'm coming up on uh, 13 years this January. There we go. Yeah. Right. It's hard to remember what it was like to to make that initial transition. I have to say. So who knows? And every you know we always say every smoker is different. Yeah. So the key thing has got to be the more options, the better. Yes. The more the more safer options uh, that that smokers have, the better. And I don't care how smokers quit. Mm -mm. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I don't care if, what device it is. I don't mm -hmm. care if it's a smokeless tobacco, like a, a snooze product or Use a, a nicotine pouch mm -hmm. or even a heated tobacco product. I've tried those two. It's OK. Um, it, it each one will be potentially helpful for some people. Yes. And there is, I, I personally do remember my switch moments very, very vividly in that because in 2009, this was a complete mystery. Complete. I had, I didn't know what liquids were. I didn't know anything. I bought a little e-cig and I thought, well, this is the last thing I'll ever need. It comes with two cartridges. I'm set, you know? And so I used it and it's pretty good. And then I ran out. And so I went, oh, damn. Okay, I'll have some cigarettes. Let's order a new one. Pay too much money. Do this. Got a flavor I don't like. Back to cigarettes. You know, there's a, there's a component of it where back in the day and even still a little bit, you had to earn it. Like you had to really want it to stick and you had to really want it to work because I settled for bad flavors on underperforming batteries with cruddy cartomizers, but it worked. And it's a miracle that anybody quit back in 2009, but enough people did to kind of start this whole movement forward and consumers innovating this forward to make a better product for ourselves, I think is a, it, you know, was a huge component to it. And so every smoker is different and you're right that variety Variety is what's going to help be vaping, make vaping successful. So that's a true story um, that the merchants, the modern merchants of doubt are trying to paper over. Yeah. Which is that this was originally a consumer led movement mm -hmm. and that it was um, it was, you know, real ex smokers and and to some extent, for some time, dual users that you were a dual user for some time, as was I. Yep. Like I, I was a dual user for longer than most people actually, because I've I've done surveys of our community. Uh, quite a lot of people quit by accident, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. As, as many as forty percent. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of people quit within a month. But but a lot of people are uh, well, I would say a, a minority uh, remain a dual user for a year or more. Yes, uh, that that was me. But basically, I I wasn't really in a big hurry, and I had. Uh, 
I was down to one or two cigarettes a day and I had the habit of having a cigarette when I walked to the subway or when mm -hmm. I walked when I was in Washington DC walked to the metro yeah the ritual the yeah yeah it's it's the ritual yes. that you miss and so then finally kind of the shift just happened mm -hmm. uh, but the, just the just the fact that that some people quit right away and some people take a long time to do it and and are dual users so they're they're in the transition phase mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is another example of the, every smoker's different yeah and I, but I would say today um, dual use is literally caused by the misinformation uh, extended dual use is caused by the fact that many smokers believe that these devices are just as harmful as cigarettes so if that's what you believe why why would you switch right? so we've, we've convinced uh, as many as 60% of smokers that e-cigarettes are just as harmful, if not more harmful than cigarettes. So yeah, of course you get dual use. And then of course the, those merchants of doubt come in and say, Oh, look, everybody who picks up an e-cigarette becomes a dual user. And that's even more dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> even though with, uh, even though with any other quit, like NRTs, they, for lack of a better term, encourage dual use. Yeah, they do. But right. but 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 not but not with vaping. Vaping, you either have to try it once and switch immediately, or or give up. But with NRTs, you should definitely dual use for as long as it takes you to transition away from cigarettes. Yeah, we we need to ask more often. You know why 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 are why doesn't nicotine gum come in tobacco flavor? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Why doesn't nicotine gum come in a tobacco flavor? Why not? Because no, because no one would buy it. No one would buy it. When you switched, did you seek out a, a tobacco flavor initially? I did, I, and that's that's very common. We know this from mm -hmm. a lot of surveys. Smokers uh, unfamiliar with uh, trying e-cigarettes, and and for me, by the way, it took a long time. In large part because I just didn't have the right device, so that's the other thing. So the the variety of devices is actually a positive um, because each every smoker is different. Yep. But I started out with tobacco flavor, like a lot of people do, and I've I've for my own palate, um, I kind of I don't like really sweet flavors. Okay. Um, a lot of a lot of adults do. Yeah. So for me, finding a flavor that I like is like finding a something that's almost no flavor. Um, sure. I know that sounds. I know that sounds boring. Look, every vapor is different. There we go. That's no. That's but I'm not right. Boring. But I'm right. No. But I'm right for my body. I. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm going to listen to my body and what it wants. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I kind of was the same way when I started vaping. I saw different flavors and thought strawberry I'm, I'm a cigarette smoker like i'm a menthol cigarette smoker i need tobacco menthol tobacco something and after trialing it you know bad flavor after bad flavor and then i tried clove flavor and like a cigar flavor and i finally caved and tried a root beer flavor and went oh root beer and that's the flavor oh. that switched me completely oh i love it 
Yeah, I love root beer. Yeah, I, I love root beer. It was just on a, it was like I ordered root beer and green apple, like just like this will be interesting. And then those flavors actually stuck. And I went, oh, okay, I guess I vape root beer now. Like it felt weird at that time. You know, I could have been the only vapor in my small town of Carson City, Nevada at that time, you know, regularly vaping like a root beer vape. (laughs) Yeah. It just was, you know, just was weird. Just was weird. Just felt weird. But you quickly, I think you quickly move to flavors. And like you said, everybody's different. And there's people, there's vapors I've met that found one flavor early on and just that's it one flavor forever and and others others that like to mix it up and and change from one Mm -hmm. day to the next so we're but we're taking away all those options now well we're not fda is you know it's not us charles it's not me and you it's fda the great and good are are removing those options i i would guess uh something close to half of all the vape shops in the united states have have shut down now not surprised by that and uh, that's, that's literally just a guess, but um, th- with a little bit of data behind it. And I uh, would love to know what that number actually is, but by, by the surveys I've done, you know, each of those vape shops was helping somewhere, somewhere between five and 10 smokers quit every month. So when, when you go from 10,000 vape shops down to 5,000, you're gonna have fewer people quitting smoking. Yeah. And, you know, they, vape shops create communities of ex-smokers helping other smokers quit. Yep. It's kind of like many people have said, kind of like an AA, Alcoholics Anonymous sort of thing going on there, yes. but without, without a lot of the stigma. And uh, that's a damn shame. Yeah. Right. But, but it was COVID killed a lot of them. But, yeah, uh, and it's not, local it's not. taxes, local and regulations flavor and flavor bans and, you know, and it doesn't and, help and, vape shops when FDA is actively telling people, you know, oh, there's heavy metals in this. And, you know, once that, you know, we talk about merchants of doubt, but once that gets out there into the ether, it's really hard to get that to go away and people will still see it and cling to it. Once you create that doubt, man. It, it's hard to it's hard to course correct, and uh, I don't know that I can ever forgive our Department of Health and Human Services for creating that doubt. And but and now our regulator, the Food and Drug Administration, is apparently moving to dramatically restrict the choices of of products uh, that are left. Also, we've banned online sales and mail shipments, so yeah. we're restricting access. Uh, for for Americans, uh, either smokers or ex-smokers in rural areas, that's a that's a real killer, actually. Um, and if all we're going to get is shitty uh, vape products made by big tobacco companies in shitty tobacco flavor from the FDA, authorized by the FDA, this is really yeah, um, it's big time bad. And we've already seen the smoking rate in the United States, or I should say cigarette sales, uh, going up for the, increasing for the first time in 20 years. Go figure. Yeah, go figure. Who would have thought that all of these NGOs and public health orgs suddenly trashing vaping for years on end, who thought that that would lead to a rise in cigarette sales? Well, so that's the thing. 
every economist on earth sees product substitution in the same way that digital cameras replaced film cameras in the same way that electric cars are replacing internal combustion engine cars uh, and this has played out in the history of technology for centuries actually yeah and so product substitution right it's a basic concept I have to tell you by the way uh, almost nobody in the field of public health ever took economics in college okay and I know okay. this because that's the field I come from and that that's been my community for 30 years so these ideas like supply and demand and product substitution and declining marginal returns and it doesn't make any sense to them and profit is evil etc always et always and so so we've got two kind of competing ideas you have the gateway uh, theory which is vaping is a gateway to smoking and then you have the product substitution uh, concept which I would say is not a theory it's a confirmed fact uh, we can talk about Michael Pesco yeah definitely there. yeah and, but, and... Uh, but they can't both be true correct it's either one or the other uh, and, and um, I think the, I know where the evidence lies yeah I mean See, that's one of those things that just seems so plain as day to me. Of course, these are product substitutions. How does everybody not see that? Of course, these are product substitutions. And you brought up Mike Pesco, Michael Pesco, and he wrote that great, that great piece. I don't know if it actually went to Congress. We spent a whole stream tweeting it at Congress, um, going over the economic implications of what the nicotine tax and the Build Back Better plan would actually do for cigarette sales in the United States. Really great piece. And now, here's some news. Michael Pesco has been appointed to the Health Canada Scientific Advisory Board for Vaping Products. Crazy. He will serve here, have here on Twitter. It says he will serve a three-year term to advise the Canadian government on e-cigarette policy. I can only see this as a good thing. I'm trying not to get my hopes up too high for Canada, but I feel like this can only be uh, only be a positive thing. What's your take on that, Charles? Well, I, I, I think he's brilliant. Yes, um, brilliant. The, the letter that uh, I, I believe he sent to a large number of members of Congress. Yes. And I'm glad that you also, you know, duplicated that and, and did, did that as well. And I, um, maybe if you could share that with um, the people watching, mm -hmm. if you can find it. Yeah, it's, I can track it, it down. A lot of it is based on his own peer-reviewed publications and, and research, so economic research, mm -hmm. uh, which, which makes it – there is absolutely no question these are product substitutes. But his calculation, um, for those who, who haven't seen it, is that – the uh, dramatic increase in um, safer nicotine vape product taxes that would be included in this new um, this new bill that's being considered uh, in Congress that 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 would cause uh, that would um, increase the number of teens who are smoking by about 500,000 teens and increase the number of adults who are smoking by 2.5 million 
adults. Now that's that's not good for public health. No. Full stop. Yeah, full stop. Full stop. And it seems like, you know, and this is something I see you kind of hamper on uh, on Twitter is that has there been there has never been I don't think any sort of like impact study done on what this will actually how many actual youths will this prevent from vaping versus how many adult smokers will this actually prevent from switching I feel like these things aren't discussed they're not even considered what's right, like oh, so nicotine tax when you embark on a, a new construction project like building a bridge or a building or or, or a new um, freeway overpass actually plant you are required to do an environmental impact assessment right yes we don't have a requirement for for legislation like this to do a health impact assessment but I and I am often saying this that we we, we actually ought to um, and we ought to have a careful health impact assessment of a, any proposed flavor ban or taxes on uh, alternative nicotine products to find out how many how many fewer teens will actually use you know use that product if if this if this policy is passed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How many teens will switch to smoking? How many adults who are using the product will just relapse to smoking, will relapse to smoking? And uh, how many fewer smokers will quit? And how many bootleg products will arise in the market? And that, it, on and on and on. If you don't consider all of the potential outcomes, uh, then you, you, you can end up with really bad policies. Yeah, or like we ended up with in San Francisco. And I don't know how other states... You know, I want to throw this out there right now. There's a flavor ban in uh, Denver, Colorado right now. I'll have a link in the description. Uh, maybe Addy Tooney, my main man, Addy Tooney can get that link in the chat as well. But this flavor ban is continuing to pass through through the, through Denver. And the way that it's going to end now, if we can end it, is with a veto. It's gotten to the veto point is our last sort of Hail Mary against this flavor ban. But it boggles my mind that Denver wants to do this despite what happens in San Francisco. I mean, you in have clear in data. A in a state that's legalized cannabis. Yes. Uh, I would like to know, uh, are flavored THC vaping products legal in, in Colorado? Oh, I, I think they are. I'm, they probably are. I don't even know if they know that flavored THC products exist yet. <laughs> they do. Um, you know. and flavored... THC gummy bears and edibles and yeah oh I mean yeah flavored no, THC yeah no, gummies edibles I didn't even think about that but yes there's no rationality to this it's, that's the thing I mean teens are are you know three times more likely to binge drink than they are to vape frequently vape nicotine frequently yeah nobody you know nobody thinks about that and like okay advertising of alcohol is legal. It comes in thousands of flavors. There are more teens drinking flavored alcohol, 12%, than there are vaping flavored e-cigarettes, which is 9%. It, it, no, there's no rationality to this. No, there's no rationality to it all, especially when you consider that alcohol isn't uh, plus we get this. Look at that. 
Berry Punch, Jack Daniels. This is fine. Those are those are child-friendly flavors. These are child-friendly flavors and child-friendly colors. And the only stopgap between child consumption and this product is a 21 and over verification. You have a little card that proves you can buy this. That's it. And that's what works for this product. But for vaping, age checks uh, apparently are, are not quite enough. I mean, don't forget, for, for Americans, anybody who watches the Super Bowl knows full well alcohol advertising is legal on television. On television. And it seems Children like... Children see that. It seems like the warnings about alcohol over the years have just become quieter and quieter and quieter and quieter. I remember old Captain Morgan commercials that used to say, drink responsibly. You know, they'd say it at the end of every commercial. Drink, Please drink responsibly. And then it's like, please drink responsibly. Please. And then at the end, drink. Just drink. There's no more warnings, you know. Just fell off. Hey, uh, my friend, can I say something about Inco? You can. In fact, that's something I wanted to talk to you about is Inco. Let's talk about Inco. Nothing about us without us. I want to demystify Inco a little bit because Inco's been around. I see Inco in the chat. I see Inco on the on the Twitter spaces. How would you describe Inco to someone who, who's not familiar with it at all? Well, it's a nonprofit organization of ex-smokers uh, like me mm -hmm. who use safer forms of nicotine in order to avoid toxic forms of nicotine. Uh, so we have a, a kind of lived experience. Mm -hmm. You can call us consumers, but we're really just people. Uh, and uh, we support the rights of what are now 98 million people around the world who are using safer nicotine. So we think about this. We've got 1.3 billion people on Earth who are using nicotine. Mm -hmm. Wait, what was Most that number again? 1.3 billion, billion with a B. With a B, like Carl Sagan. All right. Billions and billions. billions. And so that's a lot of people. So. About 1.1 billion are smoking, uh, you know, death sticks, uh, toxic, deadly cigarettes. Uh, but but there are a lot of other tobacco products that um, may or may not be as harmful, but they're still harmful. And the, the point is, um, from our perspective, getting people to shift over to safer forms of nicotine would save lives. Uh, I think uh, any rational being should should be able to see that. So Inco is a, a nonprofit organization. We have an umbrella secretariat, uh, which uh, I'm a, a member of that, and a team of very dedicated and very wonderful people uh, on the secretariat, just kind of collecting the information, uh, trying to get that out to our member organizations, uh, and trying to um, share that with the public. Because of, uh, the thing we've learned from people in the drug harm reduction space is there, there there's never going to be a magic bullet here. We actually just need to constantly, constantly uh, present Grind. the living face, the living face of people who, who've quit smoking. And, uh, and you know, I'm feeling better. I'm healthier. Mm. My lungs are more clear. Mm. I have far fewer lung infections. Uh, you know, I don't cough as much. All of us have these experiences that totally contradict uh, what's being said by the modern merchants of doubt. 
Um, INCO has 37 member organizations around the world, uh, member organizations and, and affiliates. And so we're, we're, we're growing fastest in, in Latin America and mm -hmm. Africa. Uh, we're working on uh, the Middle East. Uh, and, you know, so, but we have a lot of members in Europe, obviously members in North Amer America. Mm -hmm. Excuse me, I'm all choked up about okay. this. Yeah, I can tell um, it's very important to you. The U.S. Uh, uh, member of INCO, for those who are watching in the United States, is, is called CASA. Uh, and anybody who uh, in the United States isn't a member of CASA, I would urge you to join. Um, it's just a great source of information. But, but there are organizations like that in 36 other countries, uh, each, um, each, each one different, each one trying to grapple with the local laws and regulations and bans and prohibitions that, um, that may or may not be there. And uh, so th th we're all about just trying to make sure that smokers have every option to quit yeah. like, and not die, right? Yes, yeah. And this really shouldn't, shouldn't be such a struggle. It, it shouldn't be. And harm reduction, it's just been a buzzword of like the last two years. And, and I'm here for it. I love harm reduction. I love it. And it's not that radical of a concept. You know, the idea that we want things to be safer and have safer ways of doing things ha has been part of, of, you know, society and civilizations for hundreds of years. You know, there's a reason why we have airbags and car. We don't say stop driving. We say drive safer. You know, make sure you have seatbelt, airbags. We're, we know about safer, but for some reason in this context, it just scrambles people's brains or something and they don't understand switching versus quitting but switching is quitting so I, I remember looking at this data years ago um, on seat belts and I somebody should should look it up and probably will um, and correct me but We've got if, fact if my memory so. serves me right over a 10-year period the data from the uh, uh, United States National Traffic Safety Board whatever it's called uh, showed that seatbelts had saved about 100,000 lives over a 10-year period. Wow. I mean, that's impressive. Right. But nicotine vape products in the United States have helped well over 4.3 million smokers quit. Yes. That so, is much more and smoking, impressive. Smoking, smoking kills half of all users. So that's over 2 million potentially over 2 million lives saved. And that's just in one country. So that's just, this is, uh, it, it's not even comparable to seatbelts. Yeah. Uh, with uh, condoms or another um, consumer product. I mean, seatbelts are sort of kind of a consumer product. Condoms are a consumer product that prevents the transmission of sexually transmitted diseases and unwanted pregnancies. Absolutely. I, I you know, I worked in public health for, 30 years and, 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 and very much a part, uh, often a part of um, the work I was doing or the organizations I was working for were promoting condom use. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, when I talked about that, nobody ever accused me of working for big condom. <laughs> you didn't get called a shill? <laughs> no, but I'm, no, I'm, I'm constantly accused of, of working for big tobacco now. 
Oh yes. Because I, because I want smokers to switch to safer nicotine alternatives. It's, it's, it's kind of cuckoo. Um, and you know, the, the other thing is you can think about bicycle helmets and motorcycle helmets. Uh, these are consumer products that are harm reduction products that do save lives and prevent injury and death. Uh, and now nobody really thinks it through. Yeah. They, they allow you to continue a risky behavior with much less potential harm involved. Yeah, it's much safer to leave your bicycle in the garage and not go out. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I agree. So, it's, it's much safer so, to just stay in your house and not put on shoes to walk on the hot pavement. There we go. So <laughs> um, getting back to Inco. Inco, yes, Inco. My, my one-track mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we're all just back from London. Um, the... Uh, ninth Conference of Parties of the World Health Organization Framework Convention on Tobacco Control was held starting on the 8th of uh, November. And we held a rally. We held a conference. We did a live streaming event. And then I think we may be the first to have actively protested physically in front of a Bloomberg uh, a Bloomberg-owned building. Oh, uh, did, we, we did that in front of Bloomberg headquarters in 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 the city of London. In the city of London, how how was that? You feel like that was successful? You feel like you reached some people or made your voices heard? According to the security guards I talked to, it caused a lot of people in Bloomberg corporate headquarters in the United States to be awakened around three o'clock in the morning. So, at awesome. least we, we accomplished that. We also delivered. We delivered an award uh, to Michael Bloomberg, and they assured me that it would be it would be put on his desk. Now I don't know if that's going to happen, but this was a a black plaque uh, award for you know the, the most misinformation. <laughs> uh, uh, we have we have a similar award for another organization which I, I won't mention. We also. Um, issued an award to the safer nicotine wiki team oh cool uh, at that time and richard pruin who's a member of that team was actually there with us in in london and uh we were able to give that to him personally mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were some or nearly some tears shed around this it was kind of it was quite moving they've made a great contribution i would recommend anybody uh go to the safer nicotine wiki uh website and you'll you'll find that it's searchable and you can you can look up and you can find all kinds of evidence peer-reviewed studies to uh news articles and and that's that's just a growing resource so i Mm -hmm. i do want to i do want to highlight this and it's not a dead body it's it's a small egg bag are you doing a magic trick just a it's not a dead cat it has a thing in it and uh, inside here, um, Inco is very, very happy. It's going to have a lot of reflection mm. to oh, I can see to deliver one. this to deliver this award. Well, you can't quite see it. Oh, I saw to, my name on there. What is that, to Charles? Deliver Gardner? this award to Nicholas in parentheses Grim Green uh, as a safer nicotine champion. 
Oh. This I, is a I this love is a that. unanimous vote by all of those 37 member organizations around the world. I wow. I mean, wow. I don't even know what to say. That's incredible. Uh, I I feel completely honored, you know, completely honored. I'm just a I don't know. Do I have to do an acceptance speech? Look, ultimately, I, I, I've seen what these products can do for people firsthand. I've seen what they've done for me. I've seen what they've done for my family members. And I can't not be a cheerleader for vaping. This is this is it. This is the hill I'm going to die on. I will defend vaping into the ground. And I feel honored right. to but even just be part of this. This can be also be used as a blunt weapon. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, good. Home defense. So I, yeah, I wish I wish people actually here, with a with a background. Ah, here we go. You can see it a little better if I get it in. Oh, there we yeah. go. That I mean, that is very cool. That is very cool. So, so congratulations. Well, well we thank will be you. giving out awards. Obviously, I'll I'm going to mail this to you. Sure, sure. I mean, I appreciate Unless that. Unless you can fly me out to California. Uh, look, stranger things have happened. Do you want to come in and be an in-studio guest? <laughs> look, we can make this happen. Uh, I think that's very cool, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm very honored. You know, And it's very nice, but it's certainly not why I, I, I don't, you know, why I would do this. <laughs> but we want to honor people every, every year uh, who are real champions in this space and uh and there there are you know for every everyone we're honoring this year there are uh a dozen others not to diminish you but there are a dozen others uh that that also deserve that honor um and but you know there's only one year at a time and uh but uh but this is it and uh we have uh as i said some other awards what we have we have black awards for people who are really bad okay good and then and then you get this clear beautiful clear thing for for people who are good and you're good so i'm good okay you're good with us i i am I'm, I'm glad i'm on the i'm glad i'm on the right side with inco <laughs> i would be not doing my job very well if if i got the black bad award from inco i feel no, no, no. If you were doing a bad job, we would take you down. Oh, okay. Yeah, take me protesting outside of my house. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, so speaking of protesting, I, I do think we need to think about as, as activists, um, as people who use safer nicotine, when are the appropriate times to demonstrate and to do confrontational things um and and but at the same time to think very carefully about that because when when could those kind of things backfire so i would recommend for example i would recommend against burning down some famous public building right right no, destruction sure violence no 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 absolutely but th there may be times where it's appropriate to chain yourself to the fence <laughs> or something or something along those lines because people with other causes do that yes and to some extent we need to learn from uh where those kind of activities have worked 
So with the LGBTQ community, uh, there's a lot we can learn there. Yes. Uh, You know, in wherever it was in the 1990s, they they dropped a giant condom on on the home of uh, Jesse Senator Jesse Helms. Did they really? Look it up. That was in the news. Uh, It's a great photograph. It caused everybody to laugh and it, it raised some eyebrows and that one did not backfire, but other things can. So we need to be very careful about this, but there are, there are, I mean, there are bad actors in this area and they need to be called out. We need to think about that. So many, so we have, Inco has a very strong focus on evidence. Everything we say and do, uh, we try to make sure that it's backed up by peer reviewed evidence or government surveys. We stick to that no matter how far out there the, the, the modern merchants of doubt are with their exaggerations and lies by omission of context and, and, and uh, false claims of causation from, from associations and so on. Questionable math going on in there too. But I, but I, yes, I'm sorry. What was that? I said some questionable math there from CDC as well, you know, yeah. So just misleading math. Um, so, but at the same time, uh, there are lives at stake here. And, and so we need to start thinking about where, where we hold, not just the next rally, but maybe something, something, something else. Yeah. Look, I, but, I'm here for but, it. Not, not involving violence. No, no. What about, can we, uh, buy cartons of cigarettes and dump them on the FDA's front steps or something. I don't know if that would have a big impact. You know, what, what did they, wasn't there a group that did uh, the body bags? Wasn't that uh, the, uh, the AIDS in the eighties where they had uh, body bags up and down the streets of New York city talking about, these are all of the, these are all of the yeah. AIDS victims that are, are being, you know, death by yeah. misinformation and disinformation. So in the United States, that organization primarily uh, what was called, and it still exists, ACT UP, was extremely effective. They, mm-hmm. but it wasn't just these kind of demonstrations that, yeah, they had die-ins, you know, where they, you could have a, a, you know, a flash mob where just suddenly everybody lays down and is dead mm-hmm. for, for 20 minutes or something and gets photographed and, you know, you have maybe some journalists there and so on. Um, it, they had demonstrations on the campus of the National Institutes of Health and they erected fake tombstones and they had, uh, this is interesting, you can look at the, at the photographs, but they had fog machines, so producing fake smoke. Oh, yeah. It's interesting. Um, long before vaping. And, uh, and they held a sit-in at, in Tony Fauci's office. Yeah. He got his attention and he listened to them. Now you can't do that anymore because past post September 11th, uh, security is so tight around the NIH. You can't get in. Yeah. Um, but, but at the same time, act up, uh, enlisted dozens and dozens of, uh, nationally renowned artists and um, and including also graffiti artists and um, and they they enlisted them they had they had art shows they had so think of the AIDS quilt mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
in Washington, D.C. Uh, all of those things were effective tactics. So it's really like thinking out. I hate, the, I hate this expression, but thinking outside the box. Hey, is if we just start throwing ashtrays at people, it's not going to work. Right. <laughs> right. So one thing I was thinking about is um, when we talk about like protests or activism or trying to get people's attention, I think of I, I lived in Carson City, Nevada for a, a very, very long time. And there was always this one woman standing on the corner right by the Safeway who had a big sign that had like a casket on it. And it said, uh, don't drink and drive. And it had some ribbons on it. And she was out there every day. Don't drink and drive. All day long. Don't drink and drive. <clears throat> you know, there was like stories about who this woman is and why is she out there and why is she telling people not to drink and drive. And it's something you see every day. This woman standing there. It means something to her. Don't drink and drive. Well, it turns out she ca she came into my Starbucks store one day and I finally got to meet her. Uh, it turns out that it, uh, her daughter was killed by a drunk driver. And ever since then, she's just been an, uh, a non, you know, don't drink and drive uh, sort of activist. And that's what she does. She's like, I just stand out there every day and I want everybody to know that's driving to not to drink and drive. And I thought that was really impactful. Like it impacted me. I saw it every day. It probably impacted every driver who drove past her. I don't see why I can't go stand on an overpass with a sign that says vaping saves adult lives and just stand there every day over the 101 freeway in Los Angeles and just stand there every day. Like, I feel like that could be an actually an effective thing. And then that makes me think, well, we can do this all over the country. It doesn't take a huge group of us. It takes one of us at a time. So in, in our community of ex-smokers who use safer nicotine, uh, probably three out of four of us have lost a loved one to smoking. Yeah, grandfather here. Right? My, my father. Mm. So we have not only our own lives, but the, the lives of our family members at stake here. And, you know, just think of if you just pick any – thousand people at random uh, in, a, in a room and ask them how many of you have lost a loved one to smoking. That, that's actually the way to start the, this conversation. Yeah. Uh, one of the best ways to start this conversation is to ground it in the reality of uh, how many people are actually dying from the toxic forms of tobacco. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, right? I, mean, I think that there's something to protest. I really like that because it, it's something I think, like you said, I think everybody can identify with that. If it's not a direct family member, it's someone in your family who has died from smoking, tobacco-related death and disease. And, you know, the idea that you wouldn't, you wouldn't want them to have had a safer product and maybe they could have lived another 5, 10 years? That's something that you, you wouldn't want for them? Because that's what we want for us. I think that's a really good way. I like that. I'm writing this down. <laughs> All right. I'll be, I'll be at the overpass with you. Yeah. Uh, look, I think this is a great idea. Even if there was like two or three people up there every day with just a sign that says vaping saves adult lives every day on the 101 freeway, there's a little overpass. You could just stand there. Mill, I don't know about millions, tens of thousands of people would see that every single day on their commute into the basin and their commute out of the basin. They'd see it. 
every single day, every single day. And I think that's a, I think that could be incredibly effective. It might be even be more effective than me going on Twitter and making a tweet. Yeah. So, so much of, I, I hate to say this, but so much of what we do on social media and I do, of course, too much. Um, not, no, no, not too much. It's just talking to people in our echo chamber. Yeah, yeah. So the thing is to think about how to get outside of the echo chamber. And the, and, yeah. and the message from our um, colleagues and, and, and brothers and sisters in the drug harm reduction space is you need to get the voices of real people um, in, in, into the minds of, you know, most Americans don't smoke and they don't vape. So this, it's not a, they don't have a frame of reference for this. Um, and I, I think um, I think the other way looking forward here is is to begin to talk about the um, the, the beneficial sides of, of nicotine. Um, the you know nicotine. Um, every ballerina for the past 150 years has known that nic that smoking cigarettes helps to keep the weight off. Mm -hmm. right? So nicotine, it, it, but there are scientific studies showing. It's beneficial for weight control. Okay, we have a we have an epidemic of obesity in this country. Yes, like we do. A real epidemic. Yeah. Right. Um, although epidemics are technically, you know, yeah, it has to be an infectious disease. disease, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it, you know, okay, nicotine's a mild stimulant. It increases focus and attention and memory, and it doesn't intoxicate. But it is uh, clearly beneficial. Uh, for uh, preventing Parkinson's disease. There, mm -hmm. There's just absolutely no question about that. It's neuroprotective. Mm -hmm. Probably beneficial for people uh, to prevent or to reduce or delay the symptoms of aging dementias like Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. And then the big one is uh, people living with neurodiversity issues like ADHD, autism, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, Tourette's syndrome, and I could go on and on all of whom smoke at much higher rates than the general population mm -hmm. because they're self-medicating with nicotine because it helps them. Yeah. Right. Many of nicotine's effects are actually quite similar to Ritalin, which is one of the medicines for ADHD, but it just doesn't have, as long as you're not smoking, that smoking has a bad side effect. Like uh, Real bad, real bad. Carcinogens. <laughs> Yeah, there's that cancer and so on. But if you if it's coming from a safer nicotine alternative product, it could be a nicotine patch. I mean, again, I don't care. Or nicotine gum. These are harm reduction products. Yep. They have side effects too. Sure. Right. So, uh, but that can be beneficial for adults living with ADHD. Yeah. Or autism. And well, and I think getting people in that community. Um, active and reaching out to the patients advocacy groups in that community, which they don't have a clue, by the way, they're, they're all suffering under the same myths and misconceptions that the general public is. They don't, they don't even know, I've talked to them, they don't even know that, that the people they're defending are smoking at such high rates. So they don't have a policy on smoking, they don't have a policy on safer nicotine. I, I think getting so it's kind of it's a bit like the medical marijuana story. Right? So Smokers don't want to be medicalized and vapors and snooze users don't want to be medicalized, but there are health benefits and there's absolutely no question about this. It's, it's clear in studies 
looking at nicotine patches, and, and I'm talking of studies, peer-reviewed studies. Uh, and uh, but it's it's sort of like uh, it, it's, it's forbidden, it's verboten to talk about health benefits because the instant you do, you're accused of being a shill for big tobacco. Yeah, yeah, you are. You're a shill, and, well, and that's one of the things that makes the depression stick by the truth initiative that much more egregious in my eyes. That that drove me crazier than a lot of other anti-vaping campaigns that I had seen. That one kind of sent me over the edge. It's the most offensive yes. thing I have seen in a long time. I can't. I can't. How did you react to that? How have you been dealing with the truth initiative and the depression stick? <laughs> did, did, has the truth initiative blocked you yet? Or are you no. blocked on? You're not blocked? I'm no, they're blocked. probably muted. But Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, but I have talked to a lot. So a lot of, okay, lots of people who smoke are living, are adults living with mental health issues. So no surprise, lots of people who shift over to safer nicotine alternatives and become advocates are the same people. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I have been talking to a lot of people like, um, you know, all praise, uh, especially to Skip Murray, who very courageously uh, wrote a letter to the Truth Initiative. And if anyone has not seen her video, uh, reading the letter, I can. It's very moving, and I would strongly recommend it. It is heartfelt. Yes. It is um, carefully crafted and very diplomatic. Uh, she's a she's a big one for pointing out that a lot of us in this space are a little too aggressive uh, 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 <laughs> in social media, and yeah. and because that doesn't really win the arguments. No. So she did a, a lovely job, but I want to congratulate everyone in this space who a lot of people are like, it's sort of, they're coming out like, mm -hmm. Oh, I've been diagnosed with ADHD or with autism or, you know, or I have suicidal thoughts. I mean, thank God we have a community of people here who are supportive and, and can support that mm -hmm. and, and can recognize that nicotine is one of the things that's helping somebody not commit suicide. Absolutely. And this, so these depression sticks, are that offensive. Yeah. Uh, hyper offensive, just crazy offensive, but it won awards. Didn't it? That ad campaign won, won some awards. If I'm not mistaken, maybe it wasn't that I, I, one, but we, we will give them a black award for mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, I, I, I shouldn't say black, a, 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 the, the dog, the doggy award or whatever it is. Yeah, um, the black long that, award. Uh, yeah, black, black is not bad, uh, but the, no, that was absolutely atrocious. And in particular, given that they're, they call themselves the Truth Initiative, and there are uh, dozens and dozens of studies showing that nicotine patches help adults who are suffering from chronic depression. Mm -hmm. that, there's no question about that. Uh, you know, and to play devil's advocate just a little bit, I. There is a part of me that, sure, if I was a seventh grader in 2020 or 2021 dealing with normal seventh grade, I, uh, I do not enjoy, I did not enjoy seventh grade, but I think I would have enjoyed seventh grade less if there was like social media involved, 
you know, Instagram and Facebook involved. Thank God I didn't have those when I was young. But I could see, I could see, I could see some high nicotine riling up some kids. You know, I don't think we could make the blanket statement like that. I think nicotine would could could rile up some kids or could exacerbate the anxiety that they're already feeling because the the climate's collapsing, the economy's collapsing. You know, there's all these endless wars and and social media and the pressures of being a kid and not, being in such an uncertain future. I think there is some relevance to it, but I it's I mean it rubs me too too much the wrong way it's too offensive it's too offensive to everybody else so nicotine in in in, a, in the short term reduces anxiety and stress um, and to some extent depression it, yeah it's all mild it's, it's not like this sledgehammer of a drug it's a, it's a very mild effect but I, I do think we need to point out that Teen vaping has dropped 62% over the past two years. Yes. And, and know teen, it. Depression, teen depression has doubled over the past year and a half. So, you know, if we were to use the same correlation as causation logic that mm-hmm. the modern merchants of doubt are, are using, like the Truth Initiative, we would say, well, clearly not vaping, not vaping causes depression. Because not vaping led to an increase in depression. That, I mean, that's the logic that they yeah, it doesn't kind make of sense. No. Yeah. Does, no. So, but, I mean, what I was thinking more along the lines of like anxiety, you know, for youths is me personally, and this is only my, my personal life experience, is when I was vaping a lot of uh, 50 milligram salt nicotine, a lot of high high nicotine stuff and you, you you lost it or you couldn't find it or you had that panic moment where you're like oh god where's my vape I, you know that level of anxiety is something i could see you know especially if a youth isn't used to uh, a dependency like that and they you know they were a smoker or now they switched to vaping and now they can't find their vape and that's like giving them anxiety and I think taking away the vape is going to give youths more anxiety. I mean, at least for the youths that were self-medicating with nicotine and you take it away, so, that yeah. will cause anxiety. So let's I mean, not forget that a lot of uh, young people, youths, teens, um, are already diagnosed with ADHD or autism, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> and the, the data I, that I've seen show that about 10% of U.S. high school kids are on prescription ADHD medications mm. already, right? And so they're on Ritalin or whatever, and um, or on anti-anxiety medications. So they're they're you know they're on their meds, um, and a lot of those medications have have a lot of side effects. Uh, so God knows what we're doing to them, and it very, it very definitely does, you know, alter developing brains. Mm-hmm. Um, I I I think we we obviously need to say teens should not vape. They should not vape nicotine or THC or anything else, fentanyl. Um, sure. And they shouldn't smoke, and they should not drink, and they should not use cannabis, and they should not use illicit drugs. 
But hey, you know, were you in high school? I mean, I was. I was <laughs> were in you high school. Oh yeah. Uh, and we and we do need to think about what the Truth Initiative is doing here with its school-based programs, uh, its school-based anti-vaping programs. I believe they are repeating all of the same mistakes of the 1990s Dare program, which was a colossal failure, colossal. which was ultimately ultimately repudiated by the Surgeon General of the United States because he, he declared that it was not effective at all. But this was after tens of millions of dollars had been spent by the U.S. federal government to, uh, to, to pay for this program that went into schools, that got police officers to go in and basically tell all of the teens in high school who were not using drugs what all of their drug options were. Yep. <laughs> And what to avoid, and it, it increased curiosity among those who didn't use drugs, and it increased teen drug use, according to numerous peer-reviewed studies. I think we're repeating exactly the same mistake, uh, because the latest data from the National Youth Tobacco Survey show that nine in ten, nine out of ten kids in high school don't vape at all. So whatever you're doing to educate them about the dangers of vaping in high school today nine out of 10 of the kids aren't using these products. And if anything, you're probably just increasing the, the curiosity of some of them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How's that going to turn out? Yeah. Well, which we know from the National Youth Tobacco Survey data that curiosity is the number one reason given. Exactly. Exactly. For even initiating uh, with vaping. Uh, so, I mean, there are a lot of things wrong. Um, it's a whole nother discussion about how our public health authorities are actually communicating the facts to the public or miscommunicating or misleading. Um, but you know, maybe save that for another conversation. Yeah. Well, I mean, my only hope really is that uh, just because of the uh, technological information age that we live in, um, things seem to progress a little bit more rapidly. You know, So we had DARE in the 90s and then it took whatever, however X amount of 20 plus years for us to realize, well, that probably wasn't that good of an idea to begin with because it did X, Y, and Z. I think we'll be able to see the ramifications of what the Truth Initiative is doing much sooner and maybe be able to course correct before the damage gets real bad. So the problem here is there, an, like any foundation, they're an unaccountable entity. Uh, yeah. They have a... Like a one billion dollar, one billion dollar endowment, and under U.S. tax uh, laws to maintain their tax exempt status, they need to spend five percent of that every year. So what foundations do is they invest on the stock market so that they hope to to earn at least five percent every year, um, so they can at least keep the corpus alive, and, the, and then a foundation is is essentially immortal. So Mike Bloomberg is turning 80 on February 14th of next year. Mm. Uh, he, he won't be around forever, but his foundation will. And, uh, and the Truth Initiative and the, and the Bloomberg philanthropies uh, between them are spending about $200 million a year in this space. And uh, so, I, I don't, I, you know, you can't course correct when the people leading a foundation like the Truth Initiative have no public health background yeah. at all, and they, and they won't listen. 
15 past presidents of the Society for Research on Nicotine and Tobacco, uh, some of the world's top experts in the field of tobacco control, all of them veterans of a decades-long war against the tobacco industry, publish a piece, and the Truth Initiative just ignores it. Because it doesn't fit their their worldview. Yeah, they do have some kind of equivocal language about harm reduction. There are there they have some they have some weird kind of two faced statements. Yeah. Um, I, I can't parse that out. Yeah, it, it's weird what they shout, and it's weird what they whisper. You know, they whisper the things that we would like to hear, and they shout depression stick at people. You know, and there's just no accountability there. So, who, and between them and the accountable. Yeah, no. I mean, foundations are not accountable. Yeah. And that's that's a thing. Um, and so there is a lot of discussion. So my, like Mark Gunther, um, a journalist, spent his whole career kind of investigating that, uh, that field of philanthropy, writing for the Chronicle of, of Philanthropy, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a newcomer to um, the tobacco harm reduction field. Um, and has been writing some incredibly good things. I mean, we do need to get um, um, more people like Mark um, um, from from outside of our echo chamber. Yeah, yeah. His piece was one of the great... I read it so many times, Charles, so many times. Just read it top to bottom, top to bottom, top to bottom. It just... It, it, it was firing on all cylinders, and I loved it. And I thought oh, this is going to make some big waves. Like, this is definitely going to get some mainstream. And before I could even get the sentence out of my mouth, it was like, nope, it didn't. Nobody picked up on it. Nobody's talking about this huge piece being really critical of Mike Bloomberg. And, you know, going back to what you were talking about earlier with having, you know, we feel like we should, they should say, we're funded by Bloomberg Philanthropies and Mike Bloomberg is a known anti-vapor. You know, I, I do think that's important, but I don't know because of the way that the public feels about vaping, if if a if a journalist said that you know, whatever, this was funded by Mike Bloomberg, who is a known anti-vapor, I don't think the I think that would be a good thing. I think the public would go, oh, good, because they view anti-vaping as a good thing. Right. You Whereas know? to us, this is this is like funded by an American billionaire who's an right. anti-vaccine. Right. <laughs> um, right. Given, I mean, depending on how you feel about vaccines. Sure. Sure. And it's uh, it just it brings us back to there. There is not going to be a magic bullet to fix this. Yeah. It's going to, it's going to take people like uh, you, who is a Korean champion. As it says here on your plaque, officially uh, now, officially, <laughs> officially, and 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 hundreds and thousands of others uh, like us. We're just two people. Uh, Inco, uh, if if we actually count up the numbers of our with the members of each of our member organizations, we're actually dealing with potentially hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, what we need to do is get more people active in 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 the community and and you know less passive. Yeah. Uh, and people tend to get active when they discover that 
their rights are being taken away from them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Outrage, uh, outrage will radicalize people. I think, as we've seen, but uh, right. I think Ivali uh, really radicalized a lot of vapors uh, into action and to uh, also paying attention to what was going on. And, and you know, we, we like we got we lost a lot of that steam, <laughs> and it takes, uh, you know, I feel like it takes a big outrageous thing for all of us to kind of spring into action. It's, 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 it's hard being a, a vape defender, you know? Yeah. I, I do want to announce uh, here that this, the secretariat of INCO um, has had a discussion around this. I think it's a very good idea. Um, it comes originally from um, uh, one of my colleagues there. Um, and, uh, uh, Jeff, and and we want to hold a webinar on advocacy burnout. I, I I could be a keynote speaker at that webinar, Charles. Keynote speaker. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right, I'll, but it is a I'll, real thing. I'll put you put you down for that. Oh, um, no, no. <laughs> no, it's it, it, it is a real thing. Uh, um, there's a lot of talk about it in the community. Uh, all of us and a lot of um, you have have been doing this for a lot longer than I have. I've just come in, you know, three, four years ago from a completely different field. that was a hell of a lot less frustrating than this one is. Um, and, and, and there were frustrations there. There, there were conflicts of opinion. There were um, 20 years ago, there were uh, there was a lot of contention around whether we should with whether we should work with a big pharma companies to develop new drugs and vaccines for HIV, TB, and malaria. And a lot of people in public health said, no, profit is evil and, and you can't work with them. They're all bad. And <clears throat> all we need is more public money and more doctors and nurses and medicines because we already have everything we need. And, and then there were others of us saying, well, no, we need to innovate so that we can reach more people so that we can make products that are more affordable. So that um, so that we can make them more effective, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, so I, it's um, it's that that argument was there, and I thought it was the, like the biggest argument on earth at the time. But this, compared to tobacco control, it was nothing. Yeah, and we won that argument, by the way. Oh, good. Oh, good. I, I saw that change happen. I'm not used to this level of frustration, Charles Gardner. I was a coffee roaster at Starbucks. I had a spectacular job <laughs> roasting coffee, tasting the freshest coffee, and learning about coffee and just being involved. And it was fun, and I liked it. And I-, I never met anybody who, when I said I roasted coffee for Starbucks, no one ever said, oh, fuck Starbucks, you know. It was never like any conflict or anything. And then suddenly you're vapor and you're trying to advocate for this. And I'm just not used to this level of frustration. <laughs> you, you were a shill for big coffee. I, I was a shill for big caffeine, you know. Big caffeine, yeah. right. And by the way, caffeine, caffeine is the most widely used psychoactive drug on earth. 
Yes, yes, exactly. There, there was a meme recently going around. Uh, I don't remember. I saw it on Twitter about uh, when someone says, don't talk to me until I've had my morning cup of coffee. They're basically saying, don't talk to me until I've had my dose of morning drugs. Right? Yeah, yeah. This is my <laughs> my favorite coffee mug. Um, I can't figure out where the – oh, camera. there it is. There you go. Oh, don't get me started. Yeah. Don't get me started. That's the thing, man. <laughs> don't get me started. Look what you've done. We, we, we just, you got me started here on this, um, on this conversation. Oh, sorry. Uh, no, no. I, I'm, I'm so incredibly passionate about this now. Yeah. And I, I work with so many, um, you know, like I, I mentioned Jeff Zamora. I, I work with so many incredibly competent, passionate people um, in this community, in INCO as well, and in, in the secretariat. I, I just I want to compliment all of them uh, who sometimes they're working for little or no pay. Uh, um, and so, much, so many people are doing this just pro bono yeah. uh, and because they want to save lives. And then, you know, it's it's universally incomprehensible to all of us that there are people trying to kill us. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a pleasant thought to think about. Uh, yeah. Forgive them for they know not what they do. I, yeah. Um, yeah. Good luck. Anyway, anyways, here's, here's, here's the message. Don't smoke. Um, but, but also don't stigmatize smokers. Yeah. Don't, uh, don't, yeah, sorry. I, I, I keep no, cutting no, you no, off. No, I'm, no. I'm going full New York on you here, Charles, and I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't stigmatize people who use say for nicotine. Uh, you know, the, the stigma needs to end. Uh, I, I completely agree. And I think, <clears throat> I think, uh, Nicotine stigma is going to stick around a little bit because it's so heavily associated with cigarette smoking. And we spent so many years as a country just vilifying cigarette smokers, just the bottom rung of society, dirty cigarette smoker people, you know. Right. And that's just the way it is. And that's one of those narratives that it's really difficult to turn around. You know, when you see a group that's like rights for smokers, even I kind of like, really? Rights for smoker? Okay. I mean, I'm on board. I'm here for it. Personal freedom, you know. We're just so used to to vilifying users of things that we might not ever use or we might not agree with them using. Our default is to stigmatize them. It's just the yeah. default setting. Yeah. But the language has also shifted. So it was about smokers. Um, 30, 40 years ago, it was about reducing smoking-related um, So that's smoking tobacco, mm -hmm. all right? And so that's – it kills people, so that's bad. And so then tobacco must be bad. You know, it's just a plant, yeah. right? It's just a plant. It's just a plant. And, and, and one of the things in tobacco leaves is nicotine. So, so nicotine must be bad, Right. And and then it, and then tobacco, nicotine, smoking, those three different words, which mean very different things, get conflated and they're used interchangeably in a lot of the um, 
tobacco control literature. Um, mm -hmm. Very un unfortunate. So the American Medical Association has t twice, at least twice now, tweeted out that there is no safe nicotine product. Like, where are they going with that? Because are they not aware that nicotine patches and nicotine gum are available <laughs> over the counter in every pharmacy it, almost anywhere in the world? That they're on the World Health Organization's essential drugs list? Right. Because they have smokers quit. You, you can't, you, it's, 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 it's literally a falsehood to say that there is no safe nicotine product. They're safe. Or safer, I should say. Safer. I did refer to them earlier as as harm reduction products. They do have they do have side effects. If you read the small print on your box of nicotine gum, it has a shitload of side effects there. Just like every other medicine you can buy, right, has, sure. Like you know, this will give you hiccups or something, but it's, <laughs> it's there. Yeah, it's there. Well, and I, you know, yeah, safer is a real thing, and one thing. I think is there is you're right. There's a little bit of risk. Vaping's a little bit risky. It's not completely safe. So it's, it's there's a little risk involved. Yeah, absolutely. We don't know the long term consequences. We don't. I mean, we know uh, the 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 15 year consequences. I guess is that how vaping's been around, around roughly what 14 years, something like that. I, I go with 15. Okay. Let's, let's go with 15. Let's just round it's, up. It's almost 2022 anyway. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> it is almost 2022. So 15 years. So we have 15 years of data, of safe, use. safe use, lived experience, success stories over and over and over and over and over and over again. 68 million adult nicotine vapors worldwide. Yeah. How much? How many anecdotes is enough anecdotes? How much data is enough data? How much science is enough science? None, uh, right? Find, find me no. Find me a single confirmed death uh, from that's attributed to vaping nicotine. Yeah, uh, in I, fifteen years, I, uh, I couldn't, couldn't. No, I mean there, there is none. There is none. Right. <laughs> um, so that's quite. That's quite head scratching because, uh, you know, in, in 15 years, um, 80, uh, you know, 130 million people have died from smoking. Yeah. I mean, the numbers of deaths from smoking, I, I feel like they just don't shock people anymore. When you say 480,000 deaths every year, I tried to do some analogies on Twitter where I was talking about that's like a plane crash every 15 minutes every day. All year, and everybody dies every day, all year long, day after day. That's what the deaths and smoking are like. And it doesn't seem to, I don't know. The public doesn't seem to care about smokers' deaths anymore. No, it just seems to be grandfathered in. And, you know, in the, in the end game now, uh, um, which is a, a term used in tobacco control end it's not just about eliminating the toxic forms of tobacco it's eliminating all forms of tobacco and nicotine that's the goal um with 1.3 billion people using this psychoactive drug called nicotine that seems to like to any rational person that's that's not a practical um that's not a reasonable, it's, it's just, no. it's not going to happen. 
It's not going to happen. And I don't like this shift. And I've seen this shift uh, just in my Google notifications. I think I've mentioned this before on this stream. But back in 2010, I signed up for Google notifications for vaping, e-cigs, and nicotine. And so every day Google says, here's a bunch of news about nicotine. Here's a bunch of news about vaping. Here's the latest news about e-cigs and whatever. I've used it throughout the years for different videos and such as. And then I noticed... Uh, it was like 2019-ish, I started getting emails in the nicotine bucket that were suddenly not about smoking, not about cancer. They were about nicotine de-addiction. The nicotine de-addiction market. And I said, no, <laughs> I don't accept this pivot. This is a puritanical style pivot, and I do not accept it. And I don't know how people are getting on board with it. Well, um, because most people think that nicotine is as addictive as heroin and cocaine, mm -hmm. right? And um, which is, by the way, it comes from a 1988 U.S. Surgeon General report, which which never said that at all. Right. But it gets mis uh, misconstrued, mis misquoted. Uh, and um, it comes down to that, you know, how do we define addiction? Sure. How do we right? define is addiction? Is coffee, is, is caffeine addictive? Or is it dependence forming? Well, let's see. It's probably dependence forming because I believe, look who I'm talking to, I believe for addiction to be the proper term there has to be a, uh, some sort of harm involved like despite the continued harm of using it you still use it so now here you have a, a new product like a hypothetical product right mm -hmm. that is let's say 95 percent safer than smoking it's still harmful right but because there's nicotine in it it also is bringing some potential health benefits, like reducing your risk of Parkinson's disease, mm -hmm. senile dementia, weight gain, uh, and it'll help you keep your trim girlish figure, Grim, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and increasing your focus and attention and memory, which are like, those are not bad things. No. Uh, without intoxicating you. And if you have any, um, it, it um, it reduces issues like rheumatoid, rheumatoid arthritis and inflammation of different kinds and, and so on. So, so when you weigh the benefits to people with neurodiversity issues against the, that 5% harm, this is something that never, almost never happens in, in the tobacco con control field today. Mm -hmm. Okay, we're, we're all like, excruciatingly talking about how much harm is there in nicotine vapor but we don't like with any medicine you would look at safe and effective right and and the safe question is weighing the side effects of that medicine against its its benefits to health we don't do that with uh, consumer nicotine products but because because that whole side of the equation of the therapeutic benefits of nicotine doesn't get weighed in. It doesn't 
that doesn't count. And it probably won't for a while. And I'm just trying to be realistic about this. It's it's a hard sell enough right now trying to convince people that nicotine isn't the devil. It's going to be an even but, harder I'm, what sell. What I'm telling you is this, this, this is one of the ways to convince people that it's not the devil. Yeah. Uh, in the same way, you know, people used to think that cannabis was the devil. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And look well, how, how wrong everybody turned out to be about cannabis. That's all like that's one oh. of the things that I keep thinking about is all of the lies I was told about weed as a youth and an adult and a young adult. And then fast forward to when I'm 40 years old and I pick up cannabis for the first time and start becoming a regular user and I go, "Oh. So that was all bullshit." Yeah. You know. <laughs> right. Um but but one of, I think there's no question, one of the things that helped to tilt public opinion um, in favor of legalizing um, at least marijuana was the concept of medical marijuana. Now, I don't, I don't use THC. I don't use cannabis. I, I mean, I can, I can speak as an outsider here. I have used it. I, I know what it's like. Um, and, and I have nothing against it. It's a lot I'm different just, now, Charles. It's a lot different now. Uh, yeah, I've heard that. I, I'm just saying that one of the things that helped to change public opinion was this concept of medical marijuana. And it was mm. it was very controversial in that community, mm. in the advocacy community at the beginning for exactly the same reasons that you might react against therapeutic nicotine or mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. medical. Nobody wants medical nicotine because we're not diseased. Sure. We don't have a, we don't have an illness. Um, and, and people in the cannabis community said exactly the same thing. We, we don't have a disease. What are you talking about? We, it's, we're not addicted. And, it, and it's, it's questionable whether addiction is really a disease. I mean, and that's in the same category of, of what we normally think of as diseases. Sure. Um, and, and, and addiction does require harm. Right. So then, OK, it's not not addiction. OK, it's dependence. What well, that sound doesn't sound as bad. And addiction has all kinds of stigma words associated with it. Mm -hmm. But I think the way I think the nicotine is probably one of the most fragile cards in this entire house of cards that's been erected to try to kill us, uh, which includes, the, you know, the gateway myth and popcorn lung and seizures and evoli and um, myocardial infarctions happening before they started vaping, but attributed to vaping. Thank you, Stanton Glantz. And let's not forget erectile dysfunction and, and on and on and on. You know, vaping causes male pattern baldness. It ruins your gums. It'll make you blind and deaf. There's Stan. He's befuddled. There he is being befuddled. I like that. I wish I could make him pop up on my screen like that. No, it's it's not a power you want to have. <laughs> so it's like there is not an not a single organ system that has not been, uh, you know, um, uh, highlighted out as 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 something that must be harmed by e-cigarettes or other other safer nicotine alternatives, and it's just getting kind of cuckoo. I was joking today, uh, saying um, sudden infant death syndrome. Nobody's nobody's come up with that one yet, and it turns out 2018 
Yeah, that was there too. Oh, no kidding. Vaping causes sudden infant death syndrome. It's, like, it's, it's cuckoo. All it's right. nutty. Well, you can just make stuff up. You can just make stuff up now. Well, they, they do. Yeah. That's the thing. They absolutely do. Um, and it's, um, you know, you, you have this concept of activist-based evidence-making researchers. Um, they exist. Yes. And, and in fact, they get a lot of positive reinforcement and they get more grants if, if they all keep saying the right things. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that is, vape advocacy and activism has made me uh, a, a, a more cynical person, which I've never been in my life. I'm always an optimist. I'm always skeptical, but I've never really been a cynical person it's kind of made me a, a little bit more of a cynical person and that upsets me. <laughs> I, I, you know, I think yeah. the last thing that we want in public health is for the public to lose faith and trust in public health authorities. That, that does oh. irreparable damage as, as that faith and trust is eroded. It, it, it you know, it goes beyond the field of tobacco control uh, to, other areas like oh there might be a pandemic coming mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and how you know if people don't trust what the health authorities are telling them um, and they're all going off to twitter and facebook and getting their health information there we're we're basically fucked uh, yeah it's tough i mean this, and this is this is the post-enlightenment world we're, we're entering now, if we're not already there. It kind of takes me back to something uh, Michelle Mitten said. Uh, I, I love Michelle Mitten. She's one of my heroes. She's just brilliant. And she was talking about this idea like um, that we don't ever get – all we ever get is targeted messaging. We don't get the data or in a graph that we can understand. We get their interpretation of the data in a graph that is presented how they want us to understand it. it mm -hmm. It's very targeted messaging, and that, I think, is overly dangerous. And I don't like this practice, and I don't know how to do anything about it. <laughs> Other than like, ignore mainstream media, which is such a cliche thing to say, but you know, I don't know, I don't know any other way around targeted in targeted messaging. I, that is eroding I, trust, I, I think. In science, know, I, I, actually, I think I was talking to Michelle about this. Like, could can we do a, a Freedom of Information Act request to actually get the data? Um, but but that's still we suffer from the problem of how the data is presented. So when teen vaping increased in 2018, the FDA infographic showed the percentage increase. I can't remember what it was. 78% increase. And it's yeah. like a huge number. Yeah. But it's an increase on a small number. So um, it's a percent increase on a small number. And it, you know, it went up. Mm -hmm. And oh, then no. now teen vaping has dropped 62%. It dropped 42% over just the last year. So the FDA infographic just neglects the change, absolutely silent on the change, and it simply presents the absolute number. Two million teens are vaping. 
Right. That sounds like a big number. That's a big pile of teams. And, and so it's very deliberate. Uh, and I, I just, I, I, I don't completely understand what's happening in the, in the FDA because I know there are a lot of people there who do understand the concept of tobacco harm reduction and want it. Uh, but what they could be doing is softening the ground for the, the authorizations, the PMTR authorizations that, that should be coming uh, from the, all of the six million applications they received. Sure. Uh, like there should be some of them, and hopefully they're not all tobacco, big tobacco, tobacco company products. Um, I fear they will be. Um, and but they, they could be softening the ground. They could they could actually be coming out in a way that informs members of Congress and journalists and the public, to, so they they know what's coming. <coughs> Excuse me. Sure. Sure. But they they haven't. They've deliberately not done that. And in fact, their infographic came out with that two million number, mm-hmm. and then in very small print it says, "And among the teens who are current users," and then in gigantic font it says, "One in four are vaping daily." Right. And, and, and this has clearly caused it's numerous members of Congress. To misunderstand what the yes. truth is, it, it's intentional. But FDA, I feel like FDA is kind of screwing themselves by doing that because they're creating this doubt, and then the politicians will freak out and then get mad at the FDA. It's like they're doing it to themselves on purpose. And at the same time, they're under immense pressure from Congress. From Congress because of the information that they put out. Where most members of Congress are actually profoundly misinformed about these issues. By the FDA. Uh, I I would like a little hint for everybody um, who's an advocate here. And I used to work on the Hill in in Washington, D.C. Members of Congress don't make any of the decisions. It's 20-year-old kids who are their Mm. staffers. Mm-hmm. in Congress who are making the decisions. And there we have an entry point. So if you can find ways to reach the staff of a, a member of Congress, so a senator or a member of the House, in the, we're just talking about the United States now for, for our international listeners, um, that's the way to, to get people on board, educate the staff. Educate and, and some the of them, staff. By the way, some of them are probably vaping. Definitely. I just feel with the sheer amount of vapors in the United States that there have to be, I mean, there has to be people working on the Hill in D.C. that are vapors, just by odds alone. Yeah. Uh, yes. Right? Well, that's true. I mean, so the, the, the data from the National Health Interview Survey shows 4.5% of, of U.S. adults, so everybody 18 years and older, are um, are current users of e-cigarettes, and the definition of current use for adults is basically daily or regular use. It's basically what your common sense would tell you current use means. Completely different from the definition with teens. Mm-hmm. And uh, but if you if you look in and you segment the adult uh, user groups, I and mean, by the way, that's 11.7 million people. It's a big number. 
Yeah, because there are 17 times more adults than there are our high school kids. But um, that's a lot of people. But if you segment it, the rate of vaping is highest among young adults. Right? It's, it's, it's very age uh, specific. So the highest rates, and by the way, the highest rates of, of vaping by age group coincide exactly with the highest, the steepest rates of decline in smoking. But mm. I'm sure that's just coincidence. Yeah, couldn't possibly be product substitution. That'd be insanity. No, so so when you're talking to people, the twenty-somethings, who are working for members of Congress on the Hill, who are advising their members um, on different policies and different legislation, you, you're there. I, I guarantee there are some allies there. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully there are some allies there. Um, we've been going almost two hours now, so I'm going to wrap this up and I'm going to read some of these super chats, but not before I get your hot take on what do you think the future of the PMTA will a flavored product, be it just menthol, mint or otherwise, be authorized by Food and Drug 2022? Uh, no, I no. I hate I hate to be a. Uh, I Come hate to on, be uh, Charles. I'm trying to. Insp I'm trying to motivate doom. people here to. I hate to be a doom and gloom, but I. I think for the, for the, short and medium term, I. You can just read the tea leaves here. <sighs> the writing on the wall is they're only going to authorize these shitty tobacco flavors. And and this is you know, FDA actually knows what they're doing, but, they're. They're playing for an audience, uh, which is members of Congress and and the public and the journalists and how the journalists are going to you know play it. You can look at the actual numbers in the National Youth Tobacco Survey and you can see that the um, percentage of U.S. high school kids who say that they're vaping Juul now is 0.6 percent, um, but. Juul is still their whipping boy, even though Juul is only tobacco flavor. So, and the, the shit will hit the fan if they authorize Juul. That people will go ballistic. They'll go nuts yeah. over that. I and no, almost, almost no teens are using it. One out of 200 kids are using it. It's, 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 it's passe now. Yeah. That fad is done. Yeah. The Juul fad's but, over. But the, um, but the animosity toward Juul, and the uh, irrational moral panic around it, 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 it is it only appears to be growing. Yeah. Yeah. And any so any flavor, they've created that myth. Um, we were talking about bicycles before you've heard me say probably yes. seen me, you know, if so basically, uh, you know, nine out of 10 of the people who actually own uh, an e-cigarette device and buy the products are adults, not teens. Mm -hmm. Eight out of ten of um, adults, adult vapors, prefer flavors, which, like everything's a flavor. So what I mean by flavors in this case is the ridiculous fruit, dessert, or candy flavors, or mint or menthol. Tobacco's a flavor. Uh, and eight in ten teens are using what they call flavors, anything other than tobacco flavor. It's like no surprise because eight in ten vape liquids are flavored. And so you get this bicycle analogy, uh, which I, I, I thought it was really clever when I came up with this. <laughs> oh, 
can I hear the bicycle is, analogy? Which is, if eight out of ten bicycles are red, and eight out of ten teen bicycle riders ride red bicycles, would you assume that the color red causes teen bicycle riding? And would you assume that banning red bicycles will reduce teen bicycle riding? Uh, that's good. That, that's a good analogy. That's a real good that's, analogy. That's the logic they're following. Yeah, that, that, that Spock would be upset with that. Spock would be <laughs> upset with that. A hundred percent. See my dream, my, my, uh, my pragmatic idealist dream is for like Robert Califf to come into the FDA, deep dive into some data, deep dive into some science and just tell Congress to shut up and let us do the science, you know? Let us be the scientists. Let us hold these products to our standard and shut up Congress. And we're going to approve a jewel menthol and we're going to approve mango e-liquids and we're going to uh, not approve, authorize. We're going to authorize uh, the menthol jewel and Congress can shut up about it. And we're going to authorize mango e-liquids and Congress can shut up about it because we're the FDA and we follow science and you can't be bullied into not following science. That's my ideal yeah. world. <laughs> right. So, I mean, you know, the silver lining or the, the, the positives here are that an increasing number of very respected tobacco control researchers uh, have seen the light and um, which includes the SRNT 15, the yeah. 15 past presidents of the world's top professional society in, in tobacco uh, and nicotine research. Uh, I guarantee they, they have the, the credentials. They have the gravitas yeah. to, approach, to approach him and, and his senior staff and Mitch Zeller, who, by the way, oh, he's a lawyer. He's not a public health person. And he knows better, too. Mitch Zeller knows better. Yeah. But again, it's a lot of the play here about how they're informing the public is it's coming out of his shop. Targeted messaging. But he knows. I, I don't I don't I don't believe this uh ignorance that Mitch Zeller is feigning. He knows. He's he's seen the science. He's he's said so much. <laughs> he knows. Yeah, but he and I have to be sympathetic with him uh because whatever he does, he's walking in a minefield. Uh, between the, the pressures from Congress and the huge amounts of money that are being spent to manipulate public opinion by Bloomberg Philanthropies and the Truth Initiative, channeled through Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids and Parents Against Vaping and all these, uh, you know, kind of front groups for the for the um, the church dogma, uh, which rejects harm reduction, rejects. Um, the concept of safer nicotine. It, he is um, really, it's not a position I would want to be in. No, 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 no. I, look, I, I, me neither. But man, at some point, just stand up for the science. You know, y you can't go wrong It could because they're right. You know, if FDA said we're authorizing a menthol jewel for the protection of public health, we are authorizing mango and fruit punch 
e-liquid bottles for the protection of public health because the science says so. The science says so. Right. You know, let's going back to the earlier part of this conversation. A lot of scientists can be mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I know. And, I know. And uh, so there is there is that. Um, at the same time, um, a lawyer is not trained to think in scientific terms. They're sure. trained. They're trained that you win by having the best argument. And that's a different, yeah. you know, it's a different problem solving skill. Well, Charles, look, this is going to be, I appreciate you being here today and I appreciate you. Uh, I appreciate that award. I appreciate uh, what you do on Twitter. I'll have a link in the description. If you want to follow, follow Charles on Twitter, I'd highly recommend it. Charles is uh, what I would consider a, a, like a classic vape advocate in that he get, tries as much as, as he can. I'm talking about you like you're not even here. He tries as much as he can to get out of the bubble. You know, I see... Every time an anti-vaping tweet pops up in my timeline, Charles is right there with something to say and a graph of some sort. And that's honestly what being a vape advocate is. I feel more than shouting to the echo chamber, which we all love doing. I, 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 another shout out um, to Skip Murray, who has 100%. counseled a lot of us on being respectful being polite yeah yeah um, about responding to the nonsense with just evidence yeah just straight yeah. up or even uh, if you if you start to look at the literature about how to react to people who are in their own echo chamber you know present a reasonable sounding question like well how, how do you feel about this or what if that happened or so I, I, I could do this so much better I, I could also uh, try to break my addiction to Twitter might be good a good luck. thing and yeah um and um I, I think the key thing is that we stick to the verifiable evidence that's in peer-reviewed studies that's in um, mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. you know official government surveys and public statements from respected scientific and and public health organizations around the world and it's, look, it's all out there i mean if you if you just um you know, could sit somebody down in a chair, you know, in a, in a, um, and not let them leave for a few days and, <laughs> and, run, and run through the evidence. Like you could convince anyone and but do it respectfully. Yes. Um, yes. And, I, and don't, don't hit them with this thing. Don't hit them with the INCO board. And that's an important thing to remember. And I, myself, I try to remember that I get caught up in, uh, you know, I, I, I'm def I, yeah, we all do. Right. Because it's a very personal thing and it's something I'm very passionate about. And I oftentimes let my emotions get the best of me, you know, and I've deleted tweets that I was like, OK, well, that was a little that was a little much, Nick, you know. But yes, and especially and this is something that Danielle and I have talked about in the past, and that is crafting your message for the recipient, if you're yep. talking to someone on the right, this is how you present this argument. This is how you present your whatever, your your stance. Someone on the left, someone on the middle, here's how you present it. Someone who's a lawyer, here's how you present it. Someone who's a 
economist, here's how this gets presented. So it's it's yeah. different. It's literally different for everybody because you're not going to be able to show an economist a randomized controlled trial. You know, I, I don't know. That was a bad example. But you, you know what I mean? You have to craft it for the person. And I think that's an important aspect of it, too, along with being kind, empathetic, polite. Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. We, we, we've just agreed on that. Let's see how well we can stick to it. Let's. Though. I will hold me accountable, Charles. Hold, hold me. Hold me accountable. Um, one more time. Thank you, Charles, for coming out. I'm gonna. I'm gonna whip through some of these super chats that came in. I apologize. I did see them coming in, but we were having such a great conversation. Uh, first out of the gate was uh, my man Fishy, uh, Mr. Webcramp himself. He says, "If you love the work that Nick and Charles put in for advocacy pertaining to vaping, please do them a solid and click on that like button." I would really appreciate that. That would really help out my YouTube a lot. YouTube doesn't, uh, they don't love vaping or vape videos. And so any any positive likes I can get on my video to maybe get them to a few more people would be uh, super helpful. Uh, Dave Lloyd, that is uh, very gracious of you. He says, Nick, you are a king. <laughs> you are a king among men. I don't know how true that is, but I, I like that you said that, Dave Lloyd. I like that you said that. Um Pam, uh, the lovely reluctant Pam Cakes up there in Canada, well-deserved award for our hero. Uh, I don't, don't don't tell me that I'm your hero because your heroes will fail you. I have one hero left that hasn't failed me, but your heroes uh, your heroes will fail you at some point. Uh, but thank you, Pam. It's it's very appreciated. The Wee Baby Seamus uh, says, uh, thank you, Charles Gardner, for all that you do. And very much thank you, Nick Green, for all do you do. Uh, without you guys, we would be much more worried. Appreciate that, Wee Baby Seamus. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm not saying don't be worried. I'm worried literally every day. And the worry is kind of what motivates me a little bit. The worry motivates me. I worry about people not being able to get vaping. I, you know, people email me, DM me all the time from states where there's flavor bans have passed. New York is a big one where people constantly from New York are like, how do I get my liquid? How do I do this? I worry about those people uh, having access to that. So maybe a little bit of worry uh, could be a helpful thing, but maybe I'm just sick. Uh, Slag, thank you very much. He says, thank you, Nick, Charles, Inco, and Addy. Absolutely. Uh, hu humongous shout out to Addy Tooney. He's a, he's a really great advocate uh, on Twitter. He's a very respectful, level-headed, uh, you know, uh, defender of vaping. And I, I really appreciate Addy Tooney on a, on a whole other level. I've known Addy Tooney since Niagara Falls, since we went to Niagara Falls and, uh, He's just been a defender of vaping. I, I appreciate Addy Tooney like few other people. And then uh, lastly here from uh, Tanker Monkey, he says, Hi, Nick. I just want to say thanks again. Now, three years smoke-free. Three years smoke-free. That, that's great. Yeah, congratulations. Three years smoke-free. So that means you started vaping, ooh, maybe before Ivali, right before Ivali, 2019, 2000, maybe 2018. Oh, I don't know. You got into it in a, at a risky time. Appreciate that very much, Tanker Monkey. Uh, got one last one here from uh, my cousin, Barbara. He sa uh, She says, uh, thank you both. Uh, vape long and prosper. 
absolutely we will, Barbara. Barbara is uh, my actual cousin, and she is a non-smoker, non-smoking, non-vaping vape advocate. And she gets on Twitter, and she replies to politicians, and she has no skin in the game other than she's my cousin, and I love her, and she's taken up this cause with me. And I really, really, really like that a lot. Okay, one more from Jacob Ward. He says, uh, great convo. Uh, have a great night to you both. Yo, 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 Jacob. I'll catch up with you soon, buddy. Hope you're doing good. And uh, on that note, I, I think we will have a great night. I'll have a great night. Um, Charles, it's like 10.30 p.m. there already or something like that? 8.30. 8.30 p.m., okay. So past your bedtime. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Have another cup of coffee. Get on Twitter. I'll see you there. Um, one more time, thank you for coming out. And, and if anybody wants to follow Charles on Twitter, I'll have his uh, Twitter linked down below in the description, as well as Inco, as well as some other links that I'm going to include down there, the Denver Flavor Ban, uh, the Inco dossier that I would really encourage everybody to read. If I had the time or energy, I would just start a live stream and read this from top to bottom for everybody because it it's really very good. And uh, I guess in closing, I'm still optimistic about the future of vaping in the world on a global scale and in the United States. And I think as time goes on, it's only going to be harder and harder and harder for antis to continue doubling down on the small little things that they double down on all the time. And I think it's going to become so overwhelmingly apparent that it's going to be one of those, well, how could we ever have thought any other way? Of course, vaping is less harmful than smoking. Of It's plain as day. That's what I'm waiting for, you know. We will win. We will win. I appreciate that, Kevin Yum. Uh, I put your chat up here, but you can't see the the gif. There's a funny little gif there that's that's happening. The pair character bowing down, saying thank you, <laughs> thank you, Kevin Yum. So, on that note, uh, I think we're gonna wrap this up. Appreciate you guys coming out. Uh, the TBN stream is for the Vape Defenders, and uh, I appreciate the Vape Defenders being in the chat today. Um, Go ahead and follow Charles on Twitter. Follow Inco on Twitter. Do the calls to actions. I know I give you guys a lot of homework every other Tuesday, but this is a critical thing. This is the equivalent of standing up on the overpass with your sign every single day and just getting the message out there and, uh, you know, amplify other people's voices. I'm a big advocate of this because I'm well aware of my appearance. I know I have sleeves of tattoos and a throat tattoo, and I know that politicians will probably look at me and not take me seriously, and that's fine, but the people that politicians will take seriously, people like Charles, people like Cliff Douglas, people like Kenneth Warner, those are the voices that we need to amplify, and that's my mission is to amplify those voices to get some uh, real change, real change in the United States for vaping and harm reduction. So... Um, Vape on, everybody. We'll, we'll, we'll catch up real soon. Uh, we got a big vlog coming up on Thursday. Maybe there's a big question mark on this week's vlog, you guys. By the way, tell your friends. Big question mark. I have to take my computer back in to be fixed again. Thanks for nothing, Apple computers. So uh, I'm just going to say good night. Good luck. Uh, vape on. Vape, vape it out.
I don't have an outro, so we just wave at the end, Charles, like it's it's like it's a parade. Bye. See you guys. Vape Thank on. you. Thank you so much. Follow Inko on social media. Follow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>